1: Save the Queen!
2: Hello and welcome back. It has been a little while, and thank you to everybody who has missed us. We have missed you too. I am your host Anne Grepper. Um, I am back. Russell Myers. He is not quite yet back because he has got exciting and important things to do. Because Russell has recently become a daddy, so huge congratulations to Russell and Katie on the arrival of their little girl and Russell will be back with us next week and we're very much looking forward to catching up with him and we're going to save a lot of the really like important um, you know, like all the really big stuff and really put him on the spot to welcome him back properly. So, this week, we're not going to be talking about, you know, the big environmental projects that William's been working on. We're not going to be talking about Harry and Meghan's court case or the Netflix deal. We're not going to be talking about the royal money and the massive hole in the Queen's finances. We're not going to be talking about any of that. We are going to be doing a Kate special because I think it is a long overdue thing. It's a little while since we've properly talked about the Duchess of Cambridge there will be a few other people we will get a look in as well because we should say huge congratulations to Princess Eugenie and Jack because they have exciting baby news to look for, well an actual baby to look forward to in in the start of the new year so baby news from them as well but we're going to hear from an exciting group of people today we're going to hear from the scout leader who was with Kate uh, at the event this week when Kate took on her latest scouting role we're going to be hearing from daily mirror photographer Ian Vogler who it, it's far too long since we caught up with him we will be hearing from Tracy Rennie who is the director of care at East Anglia Children's Hospices one of Kate's well, Kate's first patronage and I'm delighted to be joined again by my good friend and colleague mirror online lifestyle editor Zoe Forsey. Zoe how are you hello good thank you it's great to be back on
0: lovely summer but yeah nice to be back to say normal life it's not quite normal life is it but
2: yeah back to royal life which is lovely back to royal life and in fact it's zoe who did that interview with with tracy which we'll hear a little bit later on in the show so i mean it's i'm not quite sure how it is october the 1st already but somehow we are here i think it's like basically Best part of a month that we have been away. We took September off. So the little Cambridges are back at school. The Royals are definitely back out on the beat. There's a high degree of sort of face mask action happening. I mean, props to Princess Anne. I definitely want to get like a (laughs) monogram crown version of the face mask. Definitely need to find myself one of those on Etsy or something. Um, And, you know, William and Kate, along with a lot of the other Royals, but William and Kate in particular, have been out and about quite a bit yeah we've seen lots of them over the last kind of uh, week or
0: so hasn't it which has been really lovely i like it when they go get back to work but as you said i still can't i still can't quite get used to seeing the face masks with the royals i, d- I don't know why because obviously we're all so used to wearing them now and everyone else's but it's still a bit it does still seem a bit strange when you see kind of cake out of a car and put one on
2: yeah it's weird isn't it it's a whole, whole but she does manage to wear it with kind of like style as everything oh of course she does yeah color coordinated and lovely and like william went for color coordinated and i think that was a terrible idea it was all far too much blue. Upset about this didn't you yeah i mean come on just get the man in aston villa face mask and be done with it like you've got to, i don't know it just looks a bit um i don't know boring I think is probably my best word for it. Maybe it's just, so my husband, when we had to get face masks, the first thing he did was order his football club face mask. But, <laughs> and it had our surname on and it was too small. So that meant I got that one. Oh, <laughs> on that well one. done. Yeah, yeah I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that William probably did, um, did his, his events in that particular one. But you know, I think you can have a little bit of fun when you've got like a plain blue shirt and a plain blue jacket and some plain trousers you can have a, bit of fun with a face mask surely
0: oh so it's the kind of lack of pattern that you you were yeah. like upset by you need a bit more
2: a bit of yeah. kind of jazzier design yeah I did get uh, like I think um, everybody needs something other than a football club face mask so I did get my husband one with cars on it for his birthday <laughs> He does have options, anyway. Face masks. Who who knew that that is what we would be talking about when we started out this year? That this would be a key feature of (laughs) normal life. Anyway, um, there there have been some sort of relatively normal visits as well. Um, hoping to talk with Ian a little bit later on about the you know the royals' visit to. East London and then we've seen Kate meeting up with mums and talking about the importance of like peer-to-peer support and what else have we seen them do? I mean less normal is having David Attenborough turn up in your garden to watch the telly. <laughs> yeah, that was alright, isn't it? The, George and Charlotte definitely won kind of,
0: you know, when they went back to school on Monday, they who had the most interesting weekend <laughs> chat in the classroom, didn't they? Very jealous, especially with George and his new show and tell, you know, edition in that tooth. <laughs>
2: Sharks well, what some some fancy old shark, yeah. but it, it caused a little yeah. bit of a minor row in the uh, in the meantime. Of yeah, he wasn't wasn't friends with Malta for a while, but I think all is forgiven now. <laughs> He's been told he can keep it. Well, this is very kind. Thank you, Malta. Thank you, Malta, for your yeah. understanding. <laughs> But I, I think I think it is interesting like how everything comes up and how, you know, the Black Lives Matter and like revisiting history and all of that kind of stuff that we've we've been talking about over the summer and now it's it's just come from, you know, an elderly gentleman in his 90s from something that he he picked up on his holiday like years ago, sort of innocently as an interested nature type person, but now it's, you know, suddenly become the Elgin marbles. Yes.
0: yes. Well, yeah, just to explain actually a bit more kind of about that, if anyone hasn't seen it, but obviously we all saw the pictures of, uh, that. Uh, Sir David gave George the uh, 23 million year old shark tooth. We shouldn't probably just say an old shark tooth. It's quite old. <laughs> he <laughs> he very old shark queen. tooth. Even older than the Queen. Um, and he presented it to Prince George when he popped over to Kensington Palace, which was lovely. But obviously Malta saw it on the news and kind of said, oh, hang on, that, that that's kind of from... That's from here. We should have it back. So their minister, their culture minister, got involved and said he was going to set the set the ball rolling to get it back, so they could put it on display in a museum. But I think kind of after a couple of days, it's all calmed down a bit, and Malta have said that George can keep his present.
2: So Which I mean that was a, nice. <laughs> must be a mem- I mean to be fair they've met some pretty great people already like how whether they will remember yeah. in, in sort of 10 years time or whether it will be sort of like, yeah there was that old dude that came and watched the telly with us in the garden yeah. and life was really weird <laughs> but, but um you know like that time she- my mum
0: and dad pretended to be our teachers
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah are there any other um of the events that they've been up to recently that have kind of been particularly memorable or stood out for you? Do you think, or is it just their day? Their day in East London was
0: brilliant. When they went and made the bagels in Brick Lane, um, they had they did a number of engagement kind of around the London area, learning about how lots of different businesses have kind of uh, been dealing with COVID. But they went and made bagels in this really famous uh, kind of bagel shop, which I'm not sure if you've ever been to it, Anne. If you haven't, you should definitely no. go. It's lovely. I- it's great it's always really busy it's always it's open 24 hours so it's always there really late you always queued up there you know you know back in the day where you didn't have to queue outside for everything when that was quite a novelty <laughs> you, you know, you'd still queue down the street not just a kind of you know only one customer at a time set up uh, but it's great fun but yeah so they got involved in the kit. they went into the kitchen and cooked loads of you know helped helped the chefs make up the bagels and they were rolling these huge great big balls of dough and each of the balls was enough to make I think it was 30 bagels so you can imagine the size of them they were huge Um, and yeah Kate was complimented actually one of the staff actually joked that she was after her job because she was that good at doing it apparently but Kate wasn't having any of it and said it was all beginner's luck but I don't think she quite got away with that I think she definitely knows what she's doing when it comes all that practicing I think they've, they've said they've been doing lots of baking over lockdown haven't they
2: so you know clearly perfected her skills there by the sounds of it. Very true. And then yesterday we had the really sort of glorious pictures that came out um from Kate's Day Out with oh, yeah. Scouts. Which were they really were brilliant, nice.
0: weren't they? They were great shots. Like obviously she always looks amazing in these things, but I thought she looked lovely yesterday. She always does at these kind of like more casual dress down events where she's really getting involved and she's in kind of boots and jeans. Um but yeah that was a lot of fun, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was, and I was lucky enough to have the opportunity uh, towards the end of the day yesterday, so space-time continuum, recording this on Wednesday, had the conversation (laughs) on Tuesday, we're releasing this new episode on Thursday, sound like a Craig David song. Anyway, yesterday (laughs) afternoon I caught up with group scout leader Rachel Drew of the 12th Northolt Scouts to hear about how their day had been with the Duchess of Cambridge. Rachel, welcome to Pod Save the Queen. We loved seeing all of the video and the pictures and everything from Kate's big day out with the Scouts today. Um, Tell us what you've been getting up to. So,
3: um, so Dr. Cambridge came and visited our uh, Scout group. Um, We're based in Norfolk in um, West London. Um, And uh, she had a go at uh, one of the little physics experiments that we did with some of our beavers who are the six to eight year olds. Uh, it was um, they're called whirlybirds it's like the sycamore seed when it, it it kind of goes down like a helicopter to the ground so she had a go at making them and chatted to them about what what scouting has been like what life has been like through lockdown um, and what we've been up to to keep going um, because we've been doing uh, lots of zoom sessions and things like that to keep uh, these kids getting all the skills they need um, as scouts. scout um, and then so she, she did that with the beavers and that was really lovely and one of the beavers uh, actually decided to to be a leader for the day and taught her how to make a whirly bird off his own back, which is very sweet. Um, and she was really good with all of them and just loved, really sort of loved chatting to them and finding out what they've been up to and what they enjoy um, and how that has helped them. Um, and then she went to speak some of our cubs who are the 8 to 10 year olds. Um, they were making letters or writing letters for local care homes. Uh, we're doing a thing called Care for Care Homes and Scouting at the moment which is um, Scouts reaching out to local care homes to um, you know help with loneliness and stuff like that um, so she chatted to them and talked about the local care homes that we're sending to um, in rice and Southall um, and then she came to our other group of cubs um, who were roasting marshmallows on the fire and she had a go at that she tried some of the marshmallows and we made some s'mores Um which is really lovely and um, again she was chatting all the way through to all the all the kids um asking them uh, what they enjoy most about scouts and um what, had, what they you know had they missed wasn't it a shame that they missed so much during lockdown and and what did we manage to do through lockdown so um yeah she was really lovely and um just really interested in in the children and and the leaders and what we've been up to
2: the Duchess of Cambridge always looks so kind of relaxed and at home when she's doing outdoorsy things and being sort of active and with the children like did they register that she's you know kind of a real life princess and lives in a palace and all that kind of stuff
3: um yeah she she was very relaxed uh, with us and just had a go at everything which was really nice um uh, she just she wanted to know about us she wasn't uh, it all felt really you know real and that she genuinely cared about us which was really lovely um, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't airs and Graces, it was just genuinely, you know, meaningful human interaction, which is really nice. Um, and yeah, she was she was it there in, you know, in her trousers and gilets as well as us, who were in jeans and hoodie. Um, you know, just mucking in and, and finding out about the
2: kids. And she's got a long-standing relationship with the Scouts, having volunteered with them back when she was living on Anglesey. Um, like what, what are the qualities that you, you think you need to have to be a, a scout leader? And are, are, they, are they the kind of qualities that you see in Kate as well?
3: Oh, well, I mean, anyone can be a scout leader, to be honest with you. Um, you don't need to have picture skills. You know, if you can make squash for the kids when they're have coming from a game, then you can help out with, with scouting. And because of, because of the um, Zoom sessions and the virtual scouting we've been doing recently, a lot of parents are realising, actually, I can do this, which is really nice. Um, but it was—you just got to have a genuine interest, and you know, want to help young children um, who want to learn. That's 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 all that's really required. And she definitely had those qualities. She was so interested in what they were up to, and um, keen to find out about all their badges that they'd earned and how they'd earned them, and were they proud of them and stuff like that.
2: And you know scouting clearly it it gives a lot to children it's been doing that through lockdown and and before as well and you know it's a great organization and lots of people are are already involved with it but how much do, do you think it helps that the royal family and now Kate in particular are you know spreading spreading the awareness and and sharing how much fun and you know kind of interesting and useful and important the work can be
3: yeah so um, Kate um, Duchess Cambridge has now um, uh, joined as joint president of the uh, Scout Association, which is amazing. I think it's going to do wonders for us. Um, you know, we've had girls in our in within scouting for years and years. I mean, I was a I was a cub um, as an eight year old, so you know, it's been going for quite a, for quite a while. But there are still some people who see it as a boys only thing. So having a female in the royal family as Joint President of the Scout Association is just going to show the young children what they can do you know have someone to, someone so amazing
2: uh, like her to look up to and how, how did you first get involved?
3: I was, I was a cub I, I was a cub at eight um, I stayed through I had amazing leaders um, uh, in my home group and um, I became a young leader because I wanted to help them out um, and then just wanted to give back to the community and then I ended up moving up to London for work and I wrote to the local district and I said, look, I want, I want to help out a group and they gave me this group that was, at the time, um, didn't have enough volunteers, didn't have volunteers, were was shutting down. And mm-hmm. since then we've brought it back and we've got lots of uh, young people, lots of volunteers now at this group and it's, we're really lucky to, to keep going.
2: Oh, it sounds like you've been doing a great job. Um, finally, what is the secret to a perfect toasted marshmallow and how are the Duchess of Cambridge's? Did she do a good job with them? The secret to the perfect toasted toast marshmallow? Oh, I don't know. I think it's it's
3: having your fire lit right. And obviously, that's definitely one of the skills in scouting that we teach. Um, but it's, it's making sure you cook them over the ember and not over the flame, I think. So you get it nice and brown instead of just going black. Um, but yeah uh, I'm pretty sure she did a marvellous job of of uh, of making them and definitely from all the sticky faces at the end of the day the, the Cubs definitely enjoyed it massively
2: Oh it sounds like you've had a great day and a great visit and um, thank you for telling us about it um, and you know good luck, good luck with your troop I'm sure it might be a hard act to follow but I know you're a resourceful lot in the Scouts so I'm sure you'll have all sorts of activities to keep people entertained all through the winter
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, It's been an amazing day and we're really lucky. So yeah, it's definitely going to be hard to, to beat this day, I think.
2: So it was really good to hear about how you know what it's actually really like spending a day with the duchess of cambridge getting involved with things and i think hopefully the three different segments that we've got um today introducing other people's voices will give a a bit of a flavor of different aspects of kate's work and how it's evolved over time because obviously one of kate's big projects during lockdown has been the hold still um, exhibition with the National Portrait Gallery, which is now live. A hundred photos, and you know, like it's, I, I. Um... I had a proper look through it this morning, which obviously, you know, prepare, preparing for the show, I've been meaning to do it for ages and finally got around to it. And, you know, there's a bit, reading the text at the start, it says, uh, you know, it's about current events. Some people may find it upsetting. I did find actually, I was, I think I was probably on a day when I could be knocked off kilter. Cause you know, you have these days when you're in lockdown and you're not, not necessarily always at your best. And I did find like, I, it made me quite emotional. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I will admit, I definitely, there was, it did bring a slight tear to my eye, some of them. <laughs> yeah, I will admit that as well, yeah.
2: Um, just, you know, kind of that disconnection between people and you know it's kind of focused quite a lot I feel on the small, young people really old people and then you sort of got the people in the middle who are who are doing the work largely I think who are kind of more in in work settings so you didn't possibly see as much of the sort of Mums and dads at home flavor. Although there was one brilliant picture of sort of, I can't remember quite what it was called. Like home about homeschooling going really well or something. Yeah. <laughs> the the mum there deep trying to deal with uh, sort of an older primary school age child and a smaller primary school age child or like preschool even and and the very different modes of one one is at a laptop and the other one's clearly sort of singing or making some yeah. massive <laughs> noise and you can just imagine the kind of um juggling that would have been going on in that house through it so um, i thought to, to have a proper talk about hold still we should get our photographer friend ian vogler back on the show because it has been far too long since we caught up so let's see what Ian's got to say about it all. Ian Vogler it has been far 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 too long where are where are you and what are you up
4: to? Oh good afternoon from a rainy Belfast where the Prince of Wales and Camilla have been today for a flying visit.
2: Very nice what have you been up to there?
4: Well they went to a museum um in the centre of Belfast this afternoon. And there, in the middle of the uh, exhibition, is a chair made by a local guy called Bob, and it was for the Game of Thrones cast, for their celebratory party at the wrap, at the end of it all. And I'm not a fan of Game of Thrones, I have to admit. I'm sure lots of people are. But apparently it looks just like it should do. And Camilla and Prince Charles were shown that chair.
2: And insert jokes here, I am sure, when you have the future king Look, standing next to a throne.
4: Yeah, first of all, he didn't actually want to sit in the throne, but she, Camilla did try to encourage him to. Um, I think he said or she said, there's lots of daggers, aren't there? <laughs> which is true there's lots but it. it's all made of like wicker so it's they're not real daggers folks nothing, nothing dangerous was going to happen but the guy who made it Bob proved to everybody without any doubt that one could sit in it but Prince Charles just he wasn't going to fall for that trick sitting in the throne in front of the media but it was it was fun to see and Camilla was asked if she watched games of Thrones. they both seemed to know exactly what it was but Camilla seemed to not have watched it I wasn't too sure what Prince Charles said
2: well, head over to our Instagram. I've posted a picture of it, listeners, and you can submit your best caption competition or your guess at what the conversation is that might be going on there. And Ian is now at the, I think you're at the airport now. Are you saying so the, if, the, if the internet goes a little bit funny or the audio goes a little bit wobbly, then forgive us because Ian is out having adventures, which must be a great thing after, you know, the unusual times that we've been having. Have you been, have you been getting out much, much with the Royals?
4: Yeah, there were a couple of weeks ago now, time seems to be flying and The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge paid a visit to the East End of London, which is quite fitting because back in the in the day, the East End, as we know, got terribly hit during the war and the Royals really saw it was part of their duty to see the people of the East End. And now after COVID, they've gone back on that tradition of seeing the people of the East End. They paid a visit to mosque, the East London mosque, I went there. They visited the community centre there met people that were involved with food banks mainly from the mosque and uh, spoke to them about the work. They've been getting hundreds of people fed basically during the height of lockdown.
2: Oh, it's great work and there's some, there were some lovely pictures there as well. Is it, is it very different taking pictures at the moment compared to your normal, normal life before yeah. COVID?
4: It's kind of different because at the moment the royals won't really, it's all very cloak and dagger. They won't publicly tell anybody where they're going to be because I think they're taking the responsible view that they can't be responsible for a crowd drawing up, which is sensible. So it's all quite cloak and dagger. There'll be two or three engagements, and you'll only know which one you, you're going to, where it is and what time it is. And colleagues will be going to other ones. And no one, No one will tell anyone else what they're doing, and it's all cloak and dagger. But they're still you know, going about their business as best they can in these, in these times with social distancing. I suppose, you know, when people meet, they always want to shake their hand, but that can't be done at the moment. And they try to have as, as an in-depth a conversation as anyone can have from two metres.
2: Yeah, two metres and often, often in a mask as well. Um, so this, is, this episode, we're focusing very much on the Duchess of Cambridge. What is she like as a subject to photograph?
4: Well, she's always aware that, you know, a camera is pointing at her. But she's not particularly self-conscious now. Perhaps she was, you know, in the, in the beginning. And being, she's a keen photographer herself, so she knows, uh, you know, that great pictures are an important part of of her role. And she's a very easy person to photograph. I think especially if you looked at the pictures from yesterday when she was with some beavers and cub scouts in Battersea Park because it's you know it's youngsters it's kids it's part of you know it's very much part of her life so she's really at ease and those pictures I wasn't there yesterday unfortunately owing to again owing to the small numbers of media being admitted at the moment it's a lucky draw system but I think you can see from those pictures that throw her into something like that and she's just in her element and it and it looks great and the people that she meets they just have the most fantastic experience at meeting her.
2: You mentioned, obviously, that she's a keen photographer. What have you made of the pictures that she's put out in of her, of her own family during the course of lockdown?
4: Yeah, there's been some fantastic pictures, haven't there, of the kids, various ones of them, some taken by her, some taken by others. I think the ones where they met um, David Attenborough were, were particularly nice, weren't they, the other day? I mean pointing cameras at my own kids as I've done over the years. In the end, they do get a little bit fed up with it. (laughs) But she seems to just keep on getting it right.
2: Yes, I think think the the ones I've seen of the David Attenborough, I think they were kind of taken by... By colleagues, or, or um, mm. whether they had someone in for the day, but certainly for the the children's birthdays, there were those famous pictures of Louis with his little rainbow hands, and Charlotte doing her pasta deliveries, and then there was George in his little um his little football shirt and things. So it's you know it, it's um they've they've really sort of brightened up various people's various people's days, I think, when they've been released. It's always just been a has been a joy. But, um, you know, the other avenue that Kate's had for her photography during lockdown has been this big project with the National Portrait Gallery. Um, what have you made of, of how that has, well, the idea in the first place and how it has, how it has all come together?
4: Well, I've been looking at some of those pictures in the last couple of days, actually, and there's just some, some really lovely pictures that any photographer would have been proud to have taken. And it's, a, it's been a fantastic idea because people have been obviously in the most terrible situations, stuck at home, not being able to see loved ones. And this idea is incredibly simple in the digital age, really easy to achieve. And I particularly like, there's a couple of pictures I've just chosen. I know it's hard to talk about pictures uh, on a podcast, but I'm sure people will get a chance to look at the website themselves. Now they're numbered conveniently. Number 75, if you get a chance to look, is a portrait by Melanie Lowis of Teddington in London. And it's basically, I assume it's her daughter, Millie, who's five, sitting at the table next to a cardboard cutter of her grandmother who she couldn't see during the lockdown. I just thought it was a most lovely picture, a very natural, just a lovely picture that anyone would be proud to have taken. And the Duchess has, has her association with Royal Photographic Society as well, isn't there? Yeah. As a photographer, I think, yeah. The, keep it going encourage as many people as possible to go out and, and take great pictures and you know it's not always about the latest bit of technology it's about having an eye having an idea and being bold enough to try it
2: I, I, when you go to a party or something back in the days when parties were <laughs> to happen, and people say oh you're a photographer what, what should i do to take better photographs like what's what's the best bit of advice that you tend to give people
4: well, parties—it's simple. Like, don't put your hand over the lens, or you get your fingers <laughs> over the lens. people—how often do people do that when they've had a, a sweet sherry or two? Yeah, just do it. You know, I, I had an old a boss years ago, and he—he's uh, saying was film is cheap, getting it wrong is expensive. So it was all about you know try it and keep on trying it until you get it right. And in the digital age, you, you're not paying for film, so keep trying, you know, experiment, and it's not an exact science, that's the thing. You can plan for every eventuality, the light will change, the person will move, and you can get an amazing picture or not very good one.
2: And I think that was one of the nice things about the exhibition that they've, they've put together with the National Portrait Gallery. Some of them are, are posed, some of them are sort of smashed moments or someone having the presence of mind to take that picture at that time. I think there was, there's one of the small child in a shopping trolley in front of empty supermarket shelves, like the mum who had the presence of mind to think, actually, I do want to record this. This is such an unusual and weird thing, but I'm going to take this picture, um, you know, back in early March before everything had got, fully locked down. And then now it's become part of this exhibition or, you know, there's another little girl who's, you know, drawing drawing the rainbows on the windows. And people people have been documenting their lives in a different in a different way. But then there's also there's some that are sort of staged shots or people that are learning. I actually really like the one of the bloke holding his rhubarb up and they've got the white, someone's holding up the white sheet in the background and you can just see the little hands poking out of the sides when they've kind of made their makeshift studio out in the garden. I think it's quite lovely, but it's kind of a mixture of, I don't know, kind of still stillness of posed portraits and then sort of really active moments of sort of yearning and emotion that are captured a lot of the time, I think.
4: Yeah, there's uh, certainly, there's that. There's another one I really like, which is number 25 out of 100, by Lindsay Adams. It's from a, a village called Thorpe Audlin. Apologies if I get that wrong in West Yorkshire. A lovely lady called Mrs Fogg, who stood inside her house looking out the window every week to thank the workers, the key workers. And it's just the most beautiful portrait. It talks about her commemorating V-Day and how she's just the most inspirational woman. It's just a a, a lovely picture. Again, simple, but, but lovely. It's funny, isn't it? Because you think the royal family are possibly some of the most photographed people in the world, but they've got an association with photography. As we know, the Queen's had many cameras over the years and been photographed with her cameras. I think that she may even have been on a postage stamp with one of her cameras. And now Kate is is turning into, you know, quite a blooming good photographer as well. So there's an irony, isn't it? The most possibly the most photographed people quite enjoyed taking photographs.
2: Well, no, it's good, and it's you know I think it will be. Well, hopefully we will get to a stage when you know all of this is far enough behind us, and there is, you know, life life is a bit more normal when we can look back and and sort of say. Oh wow, yes, it really was that weird. I haven't I haven't imagined it. You know, hope, hopefully at some stage we'll be will be sufficiently beyond. But um do you know what um do you know what you have coming up? Anything exciting or is it very much the wait for the wait for the call cool of where the uh, where the surprise royal visit will be next time?
4: Yes, wait and call, but let's not forget a year ago, just about this time last year, we were in South Africa with uh Harry and Meghan. By goodness me, a lot's changed in that year.
2: Yes, it hasn't. It hasn't. It hasn't. It just. I mean, we. We. we I said at the beginning of this show that we were not going to talk about Harry and Meghan on this one. But no. given that you and I haven't caught up, I don't think since, <laughs> since the big announcement, what have you? What? What have you made of of the story so far, and what comes next?
4: Oh, what comes next is just. I just don't know. Your guess is is very much as good as mine, isn't it? It's just gone... I mean, South Africa, there were amazing events, fantastic pictures, and then the whole thing just derailed at that point, didn't it? And now, I don't know, I couldn't possibly guess. Could you?
2: No, I I don't think anybody could have guessed anything that has happened in the last last year, really. Like, the last 12 months from, you know, the unravelling of the South Africa tour, then you had... um, Prince Andrew doing his doing his interview extraordinary interview on newsnight then you obviously came back into Harry and Meghan departing and then then the coronavirus turned up so it's all just been um loopy really but there we go yeah. it's um i think possibly that's why we we look maybe certainly in some quarters to the royal family even more than we were doing before because it is that that escapism and and solidarity is maybe even more even more valued
4: yeah, I think so I mean even you know the the Cambridges they were okay you know they 've got a rather they 've got a you know a medium to big sized house, but they were stuck at home with the kids who were off school, who needed to be entertained constantly, and they needed to do their schooling and constantly and I think that was a challenge to everybody and anybody. I was in a similar position myself. My 12-year-old has more tea breaks than any builder I've ever met.
2: (laughs) Well, hopefully you've been able to do some good photography at home as well as out on the road. Ian, Ian, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you again. Hope you have a very safe flight home and we'll look forward to catching up with you next time. Thank you. So really well done to everybody who was pulling that exhibition together. Although it was also quite poignant sort of reading, you know, we're hoping that this exhibition will be out in towns later on in the year, which now seems sort of slightly, I don't know, it feels a bit unlikely. Everything seems to have gone backwards a little bit and, um, but, but, you know, things change and, you know, you can do a good photo exhibition outdoors potentially if they figure it out. Was there a particular picture that stood out for you, Zoe?
0: Yeah, there were a couple of them actually that I really liked. Um, There was the one of the mum sitting in the garden where I think she's got what I'm really hoping was some sort of gin or glass of wine. And there's a child next to her who's just, you know, running around. And I think he's uh, not got many clothes on and he's just kind of, yeah, running thing. And she's just really chilled and you can tell that she's just kind of going, right, this is... It's, 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 it's,
2: <laughs> it's, it's funny, it looks like that famous um that famous Belgian statue of the little boy having a wee. Yes.
0: That's <laughs> like the one. From, yep. <laughs> having
2: a wee in the bushes of his garden. I think it's called Thank Goodness for Gardens or something. Like Thank Goodness We've got a garden. But um yeah, no, right. that one.
0: and Yeah. And also the other one actually was the one of the church service where you've got the um uh, I think he's a priest at the front kind of and he's doing a service to lots of pictures of his normal congregation which I, that one I thought was really moving, actually. Well, that was one of the ones that kind of got me a bit.
2: Yeah, it was a really lovely idea as well. And I think I think it's interesting as well seeing how Kate, it, like it really feels like some of her big projects have started to come together or the time that she yeah. spent building relationships with some of her core patronages, one of which is obviously the National Portrait Gallery, to be able to pull off, you know, it's not just pop in, have a visit, do a thing, get some pictures, get some get some promotion in in the media and raise awareness it's it's a more it's a deeper relationship now that she has with a lot of these organizations so like we've seen it earlier in the year with the you know early years study and the kind of the parenting type work that Kate's doing this big photography project through the um through the lockdown and then you you call up I, it was a little while ago now wasn't it like sort of earlier in earlier in the summer back when i think it was yeah it was, July yeah, it was time. Kind of-
0: yeah, just before we took, yeah, just before we went on our summer break, actually, um, I had a chat with Tracy Rennie, who's the Deputy Chief Executive uh, for EACH, which is the East Anglia Children's Hospice hospices charity, um, which Kate has obviously been, as we said, royal patron of since right at the start of her royal career. Like it was one of her kind of the first jobs that she took up. Um, so we, and she had lots of her milestones there. So she did her first speech and everything like that. So, uh, the staff there as a charity have kind of really seen her as you were talking like kind of her uh charity work and her patrons kind of really you know cut set in and they've really seen her grow and her develop as a royal so that's what i had a chat with chasey about which is really
2: interesting yeah thank you very much for doing that it's a great listen and it is like when um when you talk to centerpoint about prince william's work just getting that yes. flavor of behind the scenes of what it is really like to have a royal helping you out, and how much work goes on that actually we really just don't see normally. Hello, yes,
0: so I am joined today by Tracy Rennie, who is the Deputy Chief Executive and Director of Care for EACH, which is the East Anglia's Children's Hospitals, Hosp- Hospices, which the HRH, the Judges of Cambridge, is the Royal Patron of. So hello, Tracey. Thank you for joining us. That's a pleasure. Good afternoon to you. So what we would like to do today is what we're going to do is just chat a bit more to find out a bit more, because obviously it must be really exciting for you guys to have a Royal Patron and to have uh, Kate involved with your
5: work. It, it's been really exciting right from the outset. So um, I was thinking back to the uh, time I got the first phone call, so late in November 2011, I had a phone call whilst I was having my lunch uh, from a colleague who worked uh, then at St. James's Palace just to say that the uh, Duchess of Cambridge Uh, would like to come and visit the hospice and would that be possible so after I'd stopped choking on my lunch I went (laughs) oh blimey yes that would be brilliant and actually at that point um it was really exciting and that excitement's continued because right from those beginning contacts with her we've just had a really great experience of her being our royal patron for all sorts of different reasons so yeah it is exciting and it's wonderful for the families as well
0: Yes yeah, so, and so she officially became a patron in September 2012 and um, and obviously that was she was still really new to the royal family then wasn't she she was like, kind of what 18 months in then i guess so still very much learning the ropes
5: yes she was so actually um actually she was she officially became patron in January 2012 and very quickly um she uh she did an, uh, her first one of her first official uh, engagements Um, was opening our treehouse hospice in in Ipswich, and that was her first uh, speech in public.
1: First of all, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you for not only accepting me as your patron, but thank you also for inviting me here today. You have all made me feel so welcome, and I feel hugely honoured to be here to see this wonderful centre. I'm only sorry that William can't be here today. (laughs) He would love it here. A view of his that I share is that through teamwork, so much can be achieved. What you have all achieved here is extraordinary. You as a community have built the treehouse. A group of people who have made every effort to support and help each
0: other. Yeah, I remember what, you know, Remember watching that speech so clearly, actually, um, isn't it? And I think when you look back at it now, I don't know if you, if you kind of watched it recently, but when you see, I think it's on those clips that really shows you how far she's come and how kind of much more confident she's gained in her role. And um, so it must have been really lovely. You guys have been able to see all of that, haven't
5: you? We have, mean, so from my perspective, I've been one of the really lucky few people that have met her on several occasions because of the nature of my role. And um, sort of right from that very, very first private visit in 2011, when she we thought she was just coming to have a look at uh, what children's hospices do, because she wanted to understand more about palliative care, and at that point she was thinking about what type of care and organisation she might support in the future. So. When, after the day after that visit, we had a call from the palace saying that they wanted to talk to us, our first thought was, Oh no, what have we done wrong? <laughs> um, and then the, the second bit was, um, She would really like us to consider her becoming a patron of our charity. And we were completely oh, wow. blown away because we had no idea. We really genuinely had no idea. Um, and actually, to see her, it, it's been interesting, actually, because privately, she always came across incredibly confidently and caring and easily, you know, it was able to talk to you really easily. You felt really comfortable with her, but seeing her grow publicly. So thinking back to that first public speech in front of the world, um, it was just phenomenal. Um, And the nerves beforehand, and she did brilliantly. And then just recently, she opened our Nook Hospice um, last November, and the confidence publicly now just shines, and but but the sort of the private confidence and the way she is with people has always been amazing from day one. Oh
0: really? Oh, that's really lovely. Okay, so so quickly then, before we go kind of too much into the details, can you kind of tell us or tell our listeners a little bit more about the charity and exactly
5: what it is that you guys do? Yes, so we're East Anglia Children's Hospices. So we provide a range of services for children with uh, life-threatening or life-limiting conditions. So they are they're conditions where children aren't expected to live into into adulthood, or um, have those conditions that you would you know that often we hear that children die for. So for example, things like cancer. Um, and we so we provide a range of services to support families through that whole experience. So as you would imagine, we provide care in a hospice care in the community supporting families so Obviously, end-of-life care, sort of short breaks for families. As you can imagine, it's quite tiring caring for a child with complex needs, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. Notwithstanding a pandemic, which clearly adds <laughs> to the burden, um, but also providing support for families in bereavement. Um, and when we talk to people about what we do, people often think that's quite sad. And of course, it's incredibly sad at times when a child's dying. But the whole ethos of children's hospice care is about helping families to live during that time so it's actually it's a lot, awful lot about creating memories creating experiences that we all take for granted um you know providing opportunities for families just to have to take their child to a park is some of the things that you know, we all take for granted and actually for these families it can be incredibly difficult um, and having fun times as well and actually the the, the duchess the patronage has helped um, to create some amazing memories for families because we sometimes our families invited uh, to premieres of things so the Shaun the Sheep movie uh, we had a group of families that were able to go and experience that firsthand the Paddington one of the Paddington movies Oh so, yeah. yeah yeah so yeah and, and so you know there's that that element of being able to have fun with families but also being there and being supportive when they're going through the toughest times and again okay. yeah sorry I was just going to say again some of the families um, that the Duchess has met on on her visits some of them have been very newly bereaved and I found great comfort on talking to somebody that really listens and um, is very empathetic as well.
0: Okay. Oh, wow. So it's, it's such important work that you guys do. And so, and so tell us a bit more about what Kate does. What does her role as patron actually involve?
5: So. She's, she's got various aspects to her role actually, so clearly um, from each perspective it's it's great to have someone that really raises the profile of who we are and what we do as a charity, so it helps um, people to understand more about the needs of children and families and why services like ours are needed and thankfully the numbers of children with these types of conditions are is very very low, so for every one child that dies of a palliative care condition thousand adults would die so you know the numbers are very tiny and actually because they're so tiny lots of people actually don't know if children's hospices exist they think it's provide care is provided all by the NHS and it's not so having that someone with such a high profile who can talk so confidently about how families need the support and what our role is is absolutely phenomenal so there's a charitable our charity's perspective but equally she's been a real ambassador for children's palliative care globally So through her visits, uh, the tour to Malaysia, so Hospice Malaysia in 2012, and then the tour to Australia in 2014, she connected us with charities over there to help them take children's palliative care forward. forward. And actually, we've now got a twinning arrangement with Hummingbird House uh, in uh, Brisbane, where we helped and some of our staff went over to help them set up their hospice service. So she's she's very careful to make sure wherever she can that we, she creates connections and partnerships, pulls joins people together, uh, which is great because we know that we've helped influence you know care on the other side of the world, and of course the other bit as well, which we uh, we never underestimate is the impact that she has when she speaks to families, but also when she speaks to staff and when she speaks to volunteers. She really recognises how hard people work and, you know, the stresses and strains and uh, on emotions for staff and volunteers working with the charity as well. Okay. So, and you've mentioned, um, obviously she does the, the
0: visits. So we speak quite a lot about this, There's the public visits, which are the ones that we see, but there's also the private ones she does. So what advantages, what are the kind of differences between the two
5: uh, events, kind of, in terms of the benefits that you get from them. So, so the private visits are usually much more family and staff focused, and it's real sort of far. They actually are quite relaxed events anyway, but it's even more relaxed. So I think the family, you know, she can just take the time that she wants to to, to be with the family. And I remember one of the private visits. Um, she, the foundation, supported a project about increasing. Um, Having volunteers helping families in their family home and we were one of the pilot sites for that so she wanted to see firsthand how her foundation was making a difference Um, so we arranged for her to come over and meet some of the volunteers that was included in that project but also um, to go out and see some of the families and to, just in, sit in their family home, just to understand, you know, was what she was doing making a difference? What could she do differently in her foundation and how was it working? So I think it just gives them more of an opportunity to have a more relaxed time, less pressured time to really understand what it is that we do and how we do things. and. Um, uh, with the greatest respect it's always more um, challenging when we have the media involved (laughs) (laughs) you know we have to make sure we get everything completely right and it's all very strictly timed and I think that's the other bit you know it's okay on a private visit if things overrun a little bit more Uh, to be fair even in the the public visits she absolutely will not cut uh, short her time with the family if she's in the middle of a conversation Um, so you know she's got a really good balance about that so yeah we've had a few private visits like that where it's been a real opportunity just to sit and understand and be with people she's also we've had a private visit where we went um, to London as well with some of the volunteers and she was able to give them a wonderful experience so we had um, we've had lunch out at some of the best hotels with you know, one of the best places for with, with, with the volunteers to really say thank you for everything that they've done which is which is lovely actually really lovely
0: oh that's fantastic and so obviously you mentioned that um you've really you know she's very confident and you know kind of more privately in a way what what you know what other kind of personality you know sides to her personality do you get to see how would you describe her when you're working closely side by side with her
5: i think the, the caring compassionate side comes across really really strongly um but she's also not frightened to have a giggle uh, and uh, yeah, we there was and, and, and prepared to have fun as well. So one of the early private visits, um, she went into the care area, and there was a little girl, saw her, Didn't realise who she was. She just saw a, you know, a lovely lady with long hair. That this <laughs> you know, lady likes long hair. She ran across to her, I grabbed her hand, and took her into the sensory room. And that was it. She just kicked up the Duchess, kicked off her heels, and just went into the sensory room and started playing with the child in there. And to me, that you know, that was a really lovely thing. That you're not necessarily going to see out in the public arena um, and that, that that was really special and we had another little girl um at the, at the recent visit actually at, at the nook where this it's, it's interesting it was a young girl and she equally likes people with long hair and um, <laughs> so uh, she has long hair herself and and the duchess has chatted to her and then started plaiting her hair <laughs> mum was there as well and you know and and, and she's this little girl she just talked to her and she's she's a little girl actually she makes her own mind up very quickly about whether she likes you or not and she just you know had this warmth and they we're just playing together and you know I think it was a bit of the, the mum came out in her so she stopped trying to get on the floor play with the toys she was modeling with some of the other children they have had these like little clay things that you can do and make you know sorts of different things and so i think we see the playful side of her and the mum side of her and um you can see she really enjoys being with children yeah that was going to be my next question actually Uh, did you kind of notice a change in
0: her after she had welcomed prince george and she you know kind of became a mum herself
5: i don't know It's, it's difficult to say i think becoming a mum myself I think you see things differently um, and I think there's something about um, there's almost like this button of emotion that's twitched on when you become a mum that um, I, whilst you know you have empathy with people who maybe are going through tough times you suddenly realise what a tough time might really mean to you as a mum and, and I think that probably helps uh, even become even more uh, empathetic than she already is so I think for any parent Um, the thought of losing a child is something you can't even imagine or don't even want to think about and um, it's sort of you sort of get it more Uh, and again I know that from my own experience being with families and being with you just have this level of empathy that you you probably you don't have an experience before if you're not a parent having said that there are wonderful people that provide wonderful care who aren't parents but I think there is something about you 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 realize this yeah it's different when you when you understand me you start to think about what would it be like if and and then you're talking to families whose children have died and are you know trying to cope with that but also living really really positive lives um learning to live without their child but also seeing you know she's been able to be in touch with um, families who have had a, another child and still able to see sort of the happiness notwithstanding they'll never forget the child that died but also the happiness that they then see so i think uh, yeah so i think that, that's possibly the biggest impact for her on being a mum, that she's probably got more empathy. But actually, she was always confident with the children. She always had an, you know this affinity. She was never frightened of getting down on the floor and chatting to them and playing with them. Um, I think what struck me as well is um, it wasn't just the children who... Um, who were fully able, so the children with some very profound disability of communication or can't communicate verbally. She was equally as confident with those children as she was with those that you could engage with very simply. So I don't think the being a mum changed that. I, I think it's a bit about the understanding and the empathy that comes with suddenly thinking, crikey, what if that happened to me?
0: Okay. And so do you have a particularly fond memory or a favourite occasion of the time that you've spent with with the Duchess? I'm going to test your memory now, I'm afraid.
5: <laughs> I'm now going back over the last nine years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I should have given you prep for this one, sorry.
5: <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a few. So the one, I, you know, the one that I've just talked about, seeing her, the way she responded to that child, where she literally kicked off her heels and just went. That was amazing. Um, I suppose it's also a memory, so when she opened the Treehouse, and she would have been incredibly nervous that day, we had a, uh, sorry, that's not quite true, sorry, at the very first visit to the Cambridge Hospice, Uh, we have a wonderful chef called Julie who just makes these amazing Danish pastries, and she went over and said thank you to her and they had a chat, and then when she came to open the Treehouse, the same chef that's come down the road to Ipswich to help the team out that day, she recognised oh, no. her from the previous visit and went, hello, went over and said hello and you know, where's the Danish press. She remembered. <laughs> and then ironically, ironically, the same chef was working at the Nook in the opening in November. Again, they, they tend to work together for the big events. And she saw her and she recognised and waved to her again. And So there was something for me in that. That's really special. And for that oh, individual really being lovely, remembered, eh? it, it was one of our chefs. She meets thousands and thousands of people, doesn't she? So yeah. just, just to remember that... Um, yeah, that that was that was amazing. And there's, do you know what? There's so many things that I've been struck by. And I think another occasion was when uh, I, I sat in with her when she um, we had a family that were very very newly bereaved, as just a matter of days and um we gave them a choice about whether they wanted to meet with her or not and they said they would like to do that and for somebody to go into that room to talk to that family who were still obviously very shocked the grief was very raw, or they were quite tearful and the way she reached out to them and spoke to them and just the comfort she offered in her words and understanding and you know there was a dad in there as well and she was able to connect with him um talking about you know the importance of looking after and looking after dads and men and mental health which is clearly you know work that's close to the Cambridge's heart anyway and it was you know by the end we were actually having a laugh together all of us um, which might sound a bit odd but actually it was appropriate it was lovely and it so I think you know there's I've got such so many memories but there are always memories I think wow in my job I do these things all the time it's what I've been trained to do but for somebody to be able to be like that um with all the different audiences um, and it so well. It's just, yeah, that's the memory, I think. She's just, she seems to be pretty good at everything she tries to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, and obviously uh, your charity, as well as all charities across, well, across the world, really, have been, um, you know, affected by the uh, coronavirus pandemic.
5: What impact has it had on the work that each does? So it's had, it's had two major impacts. Um, Obviously, we've had the impact on our funding. Um, so, you know, overnight we had to stop most of our fundraising activities um, to, be, um, to close our shops. Um, we're now in a position that actually the shops are reopening and doing really, really well. We're really pleased. Uh, some of the, whilst we can't do our fundraising activities, the communities have really rallied. So, we, you know, over this first sort of few months of the pandemic, Uh, We've been okay financially. I don't know what it will look like going forward, but it's certainly okay at the moment. But of course, the other big impact for us is that um, overnight we had to put shielding processes in place. We had to stop providing face-to-face care for children and families because these children are the most vulnerable in society. And quite rightly families have really strongly shielded their children which is amazing because actually no child has died for on our caseload has died from COVID-19 which is just unbelievable considering how vulnerable they are and that's down to the family so overnight we had to become a virtual hospice mm-hmm. so we still provided we still have and are providing end of life care wherever it is required and obviously that's face to face and we're providing bereavement support um virtually as well as care around time of death face to face and we've provide, been providing some crisis care face to face but everything else has gone online so we've really had to get up to speed with using the technology really really quickly the same yeah. as anybody else we learned how to use zoom and teams <laughs> and everything else overnight, as did the families and that's worked and that's actually there's some been some, some benefits to that uh, but for the families now you know four months into shielding they're, they're exhausted, and we're seeing an increasing number of requests for a break, just what we call crisis care, and I think for the families August the 1st is going to be really scary, because from their perspective their child is still incredibly vulnerable, the virus hasn't gone away, and they will really struggle with sort of reintegrating back into the society that we've all been trying to integrate into, or live differently for some months now, so it's had a major impact on the way we deliver services. We haven't been able to deliver the face-to-face care that we give given, but actually it's given us an opportunity to do things differently. We've got some amazing resources on our website. So if you want to have a look, um, it t- teaches you how to make a bubble snake. And that's really good fun. How to make musical instruments about things you've got at home. So some really fun things that families can do together whilst they're shielding that you're going to have in your home anyway. So it might be worth having a look at. Actually. The, the bubble snake looks incredible. It looks really good. <laughs> no, That
0: sounds lovely. And so how has uh, has Kate been involved at all in terms of your kind of, you know, um, your kind of tackling of the, the virus?
5: Yeah, so she's. We keep in touch with her through her, uh, her foundation and her offices very regularly. Anyway, she she likes to know what's going on, what exciting things are happening, or if we're having any challenges. And um, she actually contacted us to, to um, say that she'd like to write to the staff uh, because she recognised our and the volunteers she recognised how difficult it might be, sort of changing our ways of working during COVID. Uh, and that was lovely to get that letter. So it was initiated by her. We didn't ask, um, and that was really motivational. And, and people were really pleased that she was thinking about us. Um, but just, but equally, just a few weeks ago, uh, we had Children's Hospice Awareness Week. So it was the opportunity for her to be engaged with our hospice as well as do something for sort of the national um, the national week. And. Um, so she was able to come to the nook outside, help us do some uh, plantings uh, for sort of an outside garden. Of course, we had to follow all of the guidance that was in place at the time, but for her as well, and for the staff and for the families that were staying, it was a real opportunity for her to just ask firsthand how has it been, um, and I think. It was great for the staff to see it because they had to adapt to working differently overnight, um, whether they were working from home or if they had to just, you know, working in PPA. If you you went to work on Friday or Saturday, you were doing this, you went to work on Monday, you were in scrubs wearing PPA, hand sanitizing everywhere and having to think how you work differently. You know, it's quite a scary place for start. So for her to be able to see the the staff, that was great. And also talk to the families about what is it like um, having to try and get care and support during this time. So it was great
0: okay oh lovely and um, it sounds like she's been really really involved then which is um must have been you know been so special for you guys at such a difficult time um, and then so just finally then if anyone wants to find out any more about each of the work that you guys do how do
5: they how do they go about doing that the best thing to do is always go to the website, which is each.org.uk. Uh, if you want to fundraise for us, it gives you some great ideas about what you can do. If you're a family and you're looking for um, access to resources or health professionals, or anybody actually, um, you know, we, we, we've seen a real increase in the hits on our family section of the website, and I advise part of the website, because I think it also provides advice and guidance if you're newly bereaved. And as we know, there's many, many, many families who have been bereaved over this period. And sometimes if you're looking for support with children, um, there's, there's resources on there. But yeah, go to the website. It's not a bad website. If you, uh, sometimes you've got to have a few clicks to get to where you want to get to, but um, that's certainly the place to go. Fantastic. Well, lovely. Thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. It's been great to chat and to
0: find out a bit more about your charity and the Duchess's involvement. Thank you.
2: It's a pleasure. Oh, that was uh, like really—that was really interesting, and I think uh, definitely a strand that we should continue to pursue of catching up with various patronages. So I we'll have to we'll have to figure out which royal we want to hear about <laughs> next. So if you see if there's anyone on your hit list Zoe and, and get another one because it is always interesting to hear from, you know, we love talking about what's happening in the news and all of that kind of thing. But from hearing with hearing from people who are really working with the Royals on a day-to-day basis is always so valuable. So thank you very much for doing that. Thank you for joining me this week. I'm sure we'll have you back again very soon. It's been great, great to, to chat with you as ever. So, yeah, Zoe, thank you very much for joining us this week. We'll look forward to having you back again and we'll we'll do some plotting to work out who is next <laughs> who is next on the hit list. Thank you very much for having me. So, listeners, um, we're sorry we left you for quite so long. We'll don't worry, we'll be back next week with lots of chat and catching up on all of the big events and issues in the meantime you can find us on instagram at PodSave, on twitter at PodSave, and you can always email us to pod the queen at trimitimera.com we always love to hear from you and what you think about the royals and you know we often include your comments in the show as well so do get in touch if you have thoughts or if there are particular things you'd like us to be chatting about next week But stay safe, stay well, and until next time... POD
1: SAVE THE QUEEN!